This is Restless, a postmortem on the young, restless, and reformed. Welcome back to Restless. I am your host, Matt Klein, as always joined by Pastor Michael, and we are your coroners dissecting the corpse that is New Calvinism today. We are carrying on. ready. We are. That's right. Um, masks on, as, as always, and scalpels ready. How are you today, Michael? Oh, I'm doing quite fine. I feel a little bit restless to get started. That's huh? great. That is, a, that is why this podcast pays Pastor Michael the big bucks, because that is the kind of radio transition you need. Today, we are completing our introduction, right? The 101 class on New Calvinism. We started describing what it meant to be reformed. Uh, we talked about how this interplayed who with the youth. And today we're going to talk about and maybe debate amongst ourselves, or at least with our good friend of the show who's never come on, Colin Hansen. Colin Hansen, uh, big fans, love to have you on the show. Love to have you join us. And we are excited for the show. We are excited to see how it's been growing um, and encouraged by people who have, who have found it helpful. Today, we are going to try and do something to encourage you to write and review the show a little bit more. I, and Michael, I'm, you might do something different. I use the Catechism for Small Children during my family worship. Which if you've ever heard the questions like, who made you? God. Can you see God? No, but he always sees me, right? These are questions from this, this children's catechism that's designed to help your kids kind of, before maybe they could do the shorter catechism, get a start. I have been actually rewriting it a little bit with a little bit more modernized English and trying to make it even simpler so you could start it with a kid as early as two. So if you rate and review the show and contact me either on social media or through our email, which is restlesspodcasting at gmail.com, we'll have this in the show notes. We're going to send every single person the first page, which is 15 questions to teach your kids on the doctrine of God in the Bible. Family worship is something that excites me and getting this podcast rated and reviewed is also something that excites me. Not to the same degree. No, not Family to the same degree. Far priority. One of these things may end. The other, by God's grace, I will not give up on. That's right. And, and in case it's not clear, podcasting is the one I, <laughs> I'm willing to give up on. Make sure everybody knows that. Right. So the, this, this word restless in describing New Calvinism is the maybe the more the the most nebulous the most abstract concept in what it was at the time michael before i tell you what i think colin hansen thought it meant and what others thought it meant when you hear the restless part of the young restless and reformed what did that what what connotation does that have it for you So in my mind, what I imagine is somebody that can't sit still, Hmm. 
right? It's just kind of uncomfortable. You can't just sit. You want to get up. You want to get moving, want to get doing something. And so uh, that's kind of how I have always seen it. I have mentioned before to my great, great shame that I never read Colin Hansen's book. And so I really have no idea what he meant by it. I always took it in that sort of sense. Those who were kind of uh, uh, uncomfortable with the current state, wanted to do something, move somewhere that they weren't, uh, were maybe disappointed in where they were. Listener, I promise you there will be something you can do pretty soon to get Pastor Michael to read that book. Um, and I do think that that is, I think the, the last thing you said that they wanted to, there was a, 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 a feeling of a need to move. And the question is, and kind of what was that? What was that restlessness? Colin Hansen in his book, and I think generally it's understand as the restlessness was a passion for these new doctrines in wanting to act on it, right? So you're kind of, it's, it's similar to what you're saying. And, and maybe it was, it was kind of even trying to describe the kind of revival that was happening because it, it wasn't necessarily, if we want to think of it as a revival, it wasn't a revival in things I, I knew, right? There was a, it was a, it was a joining of something, a movement. So this kind of restlessness had a, even if we accept this definition, had a light side and a dark side a little bit. Michael, what kinds of, what, what, what can you remember as the positive side of this restlessness in your life or in it in general? And, and yeah, what, what was the positive? We'll just, we'll say happy for a second. So I think there was a lot of benefit to the typical young evangelical discovering something and becoming passionate about truth. Like that was a huge, uh, yeah. huge part of my own growth, my own understanding of the truth is just all of a sudden realizing that there's something to be passionate about. Uh, there was this mission that needed to be completed. And so uh, having that kind of, you know, desire to do that, to pursue that, to learn these things and to teach others and wanting everyone else to, to learn them and, and desiring, you know, you have this ideal of what the church is supposed to be and wanting the church to be that, uh, if, you know, that ideal was good is a fine thing, right? Thinking this is what God wants and wanting to move people in the church in that direction. That is a good thing. So I, I would call that a light side. Yeah, yeah totally. I think, I, and I think that is one of the things that seems to seem to impress people about this movement right? Suddenly there was a group of young people who were like, no, it really matters what's true about how God saves us and what God's like. It was not uncommon for me to get together with my friends and we would debate things from the Bible. We would just discuss sermons that we were listening to or whatever. Like that's a really weird thing. And it was not common up until, you know, this became popular. And so uh, it, it was a, I think there were a lot of benefits and goods because of that. I, I think you're right. I think if we're going to look at what maybe the dark side was, the dark side, I think, is what is known among 
circles that I run in, and if again, probably if you're listening to this podcast, you're familiar with this term, the cage stage. The cage stage, uh, in case you aren't familiar with it, I've heard uh, Dr. James White claim coining that term, which is interesting. interesting. Yeah. And the, the idea is the cage stage is that when you get a hold, he thought of it in specifically the terms of the doctrines of grace, but it's come to apply to all kinds of different doctrines, cage stage, paedo-baptist, cage stage, Presbyterians, all these kinds of things, right? You can, but that it was when you got a hold of this truth, there was a sense where it may have been more helpful for the church for you to be locked in a cage for a while until you calm down than what you did with those truths in the Christian community around you. And I think there was some of that. To modernize it a little bit, you would just say that when you got red-pilled with the doctrines of grace, uh, like Neo, you should be kind of put off into your room, right? You're going to freak out. You're going to think, what, you know, this stuff is so strange. You're going to feel that little bump on the back of your head, and uh, you're going to need to throw up and go sleep for a while. I had this somewhere in my notes that I feel like in the Christian communities, I feel like, you know, on online now, uh, we talk about, you talk about getting red pilled kind of all over. I feel like the Calvinist movement was kind of like the original red pilling, right? I think so. I, I think we should do a little bit more investigating, but I, I'm with you. Right, this like, was the first red pill. Yeah, just look at look at what uh you know just read this chapter of Romans that you've never heard preached your whole life. What? Well, if if we're talking about a restlessness and 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 let's again, let's continue to use the most positive the most positive framing as we can. What what were we what were we restless of? What were we tired of? What were the kinds of things that like this came in and um, met a need of, and I think I'll I'll throw one out here as we go with with how the church had done culture. In the last episode, we had talked about how most of the churches, being evangelical churches, being ban- ran by baby boomers. I think, on a surface level, we were tired of baby boomer culture church. Yeah, and that really is. Uh it was, there was a very distinct flavor of music and of preaching and a particular kind of passive aggressive culture that dominated what it meant to be a Christian and what it meant to be in the church. And then all of a sudden you have this, you know, kind of more rocky, more hipster, a a lot more kind of in your face preaching style, all coming in through these, you know, young restless reform guys. And it was like, whoa, this is, this is something real or, you know, yeah, authentic. That's the right word. Authentic. Would it be fair to say a lot of the things we're swirling around with this is also, by the way, if you're a baby boomer, big fans of your generation, love to have you on the show uh, and talk to you more (laughs) about these things. We Uh, love you. We really do love you. This is not to say that you are bad. We mock our own generation so much more. That's right. Were we, were we tired had, had, had the craze of the church growth movement gone, gone stale a little bit? It has to be at least part of it. So this is just inevitably, this is inevitably true when you have uh, any 
church movement that tries to tie itself to a particular cultural expression of a particular generation. Uh, in order to be authentic, in order to reach people of that kind, uh, that's usually the, you know, the motivation, or at least the stated motivation. Uh, but what happens is it only takes you know, a decade or less for something that was extremely cool to be so lame. Uh, and now in the internet, you know, since the onset of the internet, uh, that is even more so the case, and it's even way faster, right? Uh, things happen so quickly. You, you move so fast from cultural trends. It's really like a weekly or monthly thing now. Uh, but you know the experience. I'm sure many who are listening know the experience of walking into a church, and it has that style, uh, mm -hmm. that style of music where you know, you're singing uh, the, the uh, songs that were, I'm sure, really hip, really cool, really contemporary you know, for our parents or grandparents. Turn on K-Love. Turn on K-Love. There it is. There's the music style. Um, yeah, I think that you know, this is not an investigate the church growth movement podcast, but I think that there was this idea that, I mean, it's a well-known idea that there was at one point, a few American missiologists said the mega church, the big box mega church is the way to reach America that this we need to future. see. I don't know. They said, put it at some number, like 50 churches above, I think it was. 5,000 people, right? That this is like, this is the future. And that shapes a lot of how you have to do ministry. And that shapes what the public persona of Christianity is and what conferences and what, what kind of teaching you're going to do and put out those kinds of things. The other thing a lot of people say we were restless of is, and this, I feel like this is at this point just as like, I'm about to say something that's a cliche and I, I, I almost, I almost hate to do it. Moralistic therapeutic deism. And now this is maybe just the stand in for watery doctrine, watery, flavorless, trying to please everybody for kids doctrine. But Michael, what what is it what is what it what is the thing everyone's heard about on the white horse in them decrying the death of the church with and and do you think this was a a big part of it yeah so moralistic therapeutic deism is this idea that uh you know it's it's a kind of religious belief that uh you just break down the words right deism there is a god but he's not necessarily uh personal knowable He's not uh, necessarily uh, someone who, you know, Jesus will usually enter into those, you know, who uh, talk about this, but very often, even there, you have this idea that Jesus, he's probably just a guy, you know, he's just a person, and uh, as far as being God, probably not. And so, so God is kind of, he, he made everything, there is a God, but he is distant, he's far away, he's kind of impersonal, uh, but... Uh, you can reach out to him for help in your personal life with personal uh, personal issues. This is kind of the therapeutic part. Uh, he is he is there to help you get through your life. He is there to help you feel better about yourself and be the best person that you can be and have your best life now. Mm -hmm. And the moralistic is just that uh, the the element of having a 
a particular ethic. So you're still, you're supposed to live this particular way. You live this particular way. God will do these nice things for you. Right. Be good to be happy because God loves you in a general sense. Yes. Right. You, yeah, this is, you can find, obviously this is based on Christian Smith's research, but was, do you think, do you think responding to the, this left, is this, is this a little overblown at this point or what do you think? That's a good question. Uh, I, I don't know if it's overblown. I think it was a helpful idea to try to categorize the lack of biblical knowledge amongst most of, you know, American Christianity. But I do think that it, I don't think that it uh, totally works. So I don't know that I've ever met anybody who I'm like, this really fits what they believe. Mm-hmm. That's, that's, maybe that's not true. I, I maybe know some, uh, but it, it's not this simple. And this sounds like the kind of thing that church growth movement, mega church, uh, trying to study the <laughs> suburbs, like they put out all these surveys and this is what they came up with to try to categorize what was going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's not that it's unhelpful, uh, but it can pro- it probably was over di- overdone. It was taken too far. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think what it, what it does work for in our, as we're thinking about what we were, what this was restless from church growth movement, a certain ch- church culture, a certain kind of watery doctrine, right? I think that's kind of what it, what it's getting at. I think maybe another one is just the, the theology of niceness, the PC, the PCness of everything. Can't we just be friends? We're all in this together. Evangelicals and Catholics together. We yep. all believe the same thing. And into this come these figures who, who break this mold in lots of different ways. John Piper spends 10 million sermons in Romans parsing every Greek verb, right? Oh, yeah, what were you supposed to do in sermons? Oh, well, this, this is not like steps to a better marriage, right? This is nothing like that. You're not making me feel better about myself. Right. You're not really even talking about me. You're talking about like the the way this verb this Greek verb is used. What are we what are we you know like What are you doing? Yeah, I thought this was about me. Right. Right. Obviously Mark Driscoll created a a style and maybe persona that it was that was a direct assault on this. And I think that the the YRR in general had a we tell it like it is we stand for truth in general. That was, if, again, if we want to take that positive thing, right. That was, and that was very attractive to uh, a lot of us, I think to see people saying things that you weren't supposed to say in church, calling out particular kinds of sin that you were never supposed to bring up. That was really powerful. Yeah, totally. And it was gritty, right? This like, I, I, I there was a time where like, you know, the cool thing, and this is probably at this time, right? The cool thing in movies or TV shows is like, it's just raw, right? Yeah. That was a, that was a phase. And I'm going to throw one more onto this that I think for me was big. And you can tell me what you think before I get to my alternate theory. I think the other thing that we were talking about when we discuss 
what what were we restless from? If you're if you're in America right now, you are in a rootless and fatherless generation. And I even mean that I I have a I have a good dad. Michael has a good dad. Um, I actually think they are elders at the same church right now. Interestingly enough, I, I don't think I think my dad's off the elder board right now, but okay. they. They have both been elders at the same church. And, and they both big blessings, right, to us. So I obviously mean something other than literally I didn't have a father in the home or I had a dad who, who didn't care, right? What I mean is like we have no connection to like the past. There is no the God of my fathers. Being patriotic, right, land of my fathers, that's not... Like people are like, well, can, is, can we come up with a different word than patriotic, right? Like <laughs> what would have been right. just a, a very normally, we have no connection to anything, anything before us. We're rootless. Again, the Christianity I knew because it was so rooted in the baby boomer culture started in 1945, right? The pillar of the faith on which the church was built was Billy Graham, right the great works of god throughout history were um campus crusade for christ and george bush getting elected <laughs> right like, uh. think, <laughs> like I, I i i i'm i'm a joking but i'm also pretty dang serious right now yeah and so into this comes like hey my kid's named calvin you should believe this thing that has always been believed. What are you talking about? That yeah, what does it mean that this has always been believed? I think you're right. I think they're just culturally, and this is even more true now. And it's just, I mean, it's it's accelerating, although it's causing a bit of a backlash into uh, some people seeking out some kind of of older traditional way of life right now. But there is this within the church a disconnection from what has come before, from those who have come before. There might be reference to them here and there, but up to this point, you do have, you know, there's pockets, you know, you have, you know, historic uh, kinds of churches that are tied to a historic confession and, mm -hmm. and uh, they have their way of reaching back and, and standing upon those who have gone before. But I even think now about many of my evangelical friends who have been a part of, or are a part of like church plants. And it's like when a church is planted, you're reinventing the wheel. Like you're starting a church from the ground up. Like there's, there's nothing that like, you're just building it. You're just reading the book of Acts and starting a church. Cool. And uh, that's like, you should be reading the book of Acts, but uh, that, you know, there's a lot more to build upon than that. We have right. many more who have gone before us and uh, we really do stand upon the shoulders of giants in that way. And so other, uh, other so people have read that. the book of Acts and have good ideas. <laughs> Believe it or not, there are other people who have read the Bible who have thought that we should do things in a certain way. This is why certain traditions were established. And, and then even along with this, an invitation to a legacy, it, it also came with fathers. Guys telling you what to do. John Piper telling you, study hard, kid. Driscoll telling you, go marry a woman and how dare you. And David Platt telling you to like, sell all your stuff and like 
take this seriously and a grandfather like John MacArthur going, oh, these kids again. Like, all of these family figures came along with it. Yeah, fathers, fathers to finally, and I think there was an element, and you know, I, I have trouble remembering back all the way, but I think there was a lot of, all of a sudden, because there was no longer this, like, we have to be nice, right? There was no longer this kind of uh, older school, baby boomer, let's all just be friends, kind of uh, uh, big church movement theology because there was this kind of this new like you said gritty you know it doesn't have to be politically correct we can say what we want there was actually a lot of very like practical advice hey this is what it looks like when you're having you know this kind of discussion with your spouse hey this is what it looks like you know don't you know uh this is uh, what it looks like to stop watching pornography and this is what it looks like to get married and take responsibility and and not always was that a good thing right some of the ways that that you know, thing, some of the, the bits of advice that were given were not good, but overall, it was just somebody saying, hey, here's a way to take the faith and actually make it practical for you, Right. which is what and, a father does. And I think this, this, this kind of draws us to my theory, because I do think the inherent weakness, the inherent weakness of that advice, what, you know, obviously there, you know, plenty of bad advice is given, right? But I think the inherent weakness is the medium by which you got it. It was through a online entertainment-based medium. It was entertaining to get advice about stopping looking at pornography or having a better marriage. And that's weird, man. Like, that's just, that's honestly weird. Again, and then the other thing is, is because it was willing to draw lines, it also then comes with actually actual camaraderie of a family. Right, the camaraderie you didn't feel when it was just like we're, you know, we are one big blob of love all together, you know, and there's no difference and no. What you don't then get is you don't get a real family table. So it created this mission of a kind where you have father figures who give practical advice on how to do things and it did establish a kind of tribe that you then have where you feel like i can be at home here i have other people i'm with other people even though it was a kind of virtual reality because a lot of the time it wasn't real in your actual life so what is the restlessness i think what it is is calvinism through the lens of youth culture is what we mean by restless so calvinism is brought in as we talk through various means into college ministries, through into conferences, through camps, through the internet. And then in order to grow, the new Calvinists go, let's take the shape, let's use the forms and the shape of youth culture to grow. And I'm not, and I'm not discrediting God's working in it, as Michael and I, this is why we started with our stories. God was, God was at work. God is, at, and, and, and even, if, even if you are a hardcore critic of it and you said, you know, these men were out for money, whatever, fame, guess what Paul says to you, my friend, the critic? I glorify God that someone preached the gospel. I don't know if the people who, who told me about the doctrines of grace were the best people ever, but guess what? I give glory to God that the doctrines of grace were told to me. 
So my theory is not meant to have a repudiation of Calvinism, but I'm, I'm using the word restless. I'm differentiating it from the church where Michael's a pastor and the reformed theology I see there. Because I don't think it is the restless in my mind is it's what happens when Calvinism is takes the shape of youth culture. So it's, it's fatherly advice delivered in ask pastor, whoever podcasts it's shooting from the hip in a sermon. Like, let me just think of all the different advice I've given on pornography, for example, and throw it all out into a podcast in, in a sermon. Cause I've got, to, I'm speaking to 20,000 people, whether it be in person or online. Michael, do you think, do you think my hypothesis has any legs? It makes sense to me. I'm, I'm willing to uh, accept it on faith at this point. No, it, it sounds, it sounds uh, pretty legit. So what I see is there is a zeal that comes, particularly with the young, but that's going to be kind of exacerbated, I think, by uh, a lack of direction, a lack of, of rootedness and father figures uh, that is going to uh, become destructive because it's not guided by, by that, you know, father figures, wisdom, knowledge. Uh, so this is something that I thought about before we came on when we, I was thinking about this idea of restlessness. Uh, there's a proverb, this is in Proverbs 19. Uh, it, it says this, it says, desire, I'm going to translate it zeal, uh, because I think that you can translate it that way, but zeal without knowledge is not good, and whoever makes haste with his feet misses his way. And uh, I think that proverbial wisdom is very much at play here. When we talk about the, the, the light side and dark side of restlessness, uh, especially in this movement, I think you had a lot of zeal without knowledge. Hmm. And that's not good. It's not a good thing. The, the issue is, though, uh, we were in a culture where that kind of young, youthful zeal was seen as a good thing. And the church had accepted that for a long time. Coming out of the Second Great Awakening uh, and those who were kind of the heirs of the Second Great Awakening, when you get down to the, the later 1800s, uh, guys like D.L. Moody, uh, they were all about zeal without knowledge. Hmm. That, was, that was far more important, to have zeal that was not governed by knowledge. And I, I have a huge amount of respect for D.L. Moody. Uh, I, I really do uh, think that God used him in tremendous ways. But there's also a lot of really damaging that stuff that came out of that movement, and that really shaped uh, broader evangelicalism, and I think shaped what you know eventually became the Young Restless Reform. Because, uh, like we talked about in uh, one of the earlier episodes, what you really have here is a kind of of Calvinistic evangelicalism, and so it's it's still evangelicalism, even if it's added some of these doctrines of grace to it, and that can be incredibly destructive. Uh, I was once uh, I read this book, or it was read to me, called "Why Did God Use D.L. Moody," which was just a little, hmm. almost like a pamphlet by R.A. Torrey. And one of the, you know, I don't know if it's six or seven reasons that that R.A. Torrey gives is that D.L. Moody had zeal, even though he did not have knowledge. Hmm. And he says specifically that uh, zeal without knowledge is better than knowledge without zeal. And that's actually exactly opposite of the biblical truth. That's actually exactly wrong. But you see how that has played out within broader evangelicalism, because, you know, even going back to our last episode with, hey, maybe when you're a new convert and you're young, you shouldn't be given 
the authority of being a pastor right away. And that's a dangerous thing. Well, why? Because I mean, zeal without knowledge is better than zeal or than knowledge without zeal. So if somebody has zeal, if they've got the passion, if they've got the heart, if they've got the drive, let them have it. That's a good thing, right? No, actually that's going to destroy people. It's going to destroy churches and ultimately it will implode. Yeah. I think it's so interesting as I, as I heard you explain this, is it actually wasn't that different. It was just as rootless because it imploded on all the things, no accountability, no direction, all right. It didn't know where to go because maybe it was the same thing. And it was one more extension of this zeal you're talking about. Right. I think to further kind of bolster my, my thesis, I think, right. Uh, Ken Myers in his, his really great book, all God's children in blue suede shoes. He describes youth culture and pop culture, right? That what I'm saying, Calvinism was taken into, right? He says, here are the, uh, here's the spirit of youth culture, suspiciousness of authority in the past, allergic to formality, impatience with limitations of propriety, fearful of being as perceived as uncool. To be young today or stubbornly to think of oneself as young is to see life as all possibility and no necessity. I think that, man, that hits a lot of what was going on. I think it that- just describes everything. Podcast over. I know. We figured I, it out. It's done. I, I really worried when I was listening to you like describe like what were the seeds of maybe the end of this movement. I was like, oh, wow, we just did our fifth or sixth episode and I, I guess we did it. And we're done. <laughs> well, there uh, you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Yep. This has been restless. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I think they viewed them doing as like, this is reformed theology for the every man. You know, like, unlike these like ivory tower guys who, who think you need to have an, you need to re-enculturate. We're, we're taking it on the streets, right? But this is another, this is another statement from Ken Myers. And I think this is the weakness if we're talking about the weakness of having no fathers, of having no, of tired of PC culture, of tired of the church growth movement, just injecting the doctrines and grace into these things is not, is not, is not a revival. Maybe I'll use a better word. It's not a reformation. You know, there's this thing we often do in American Christianity. I don't think we had, I don't think, probably because we weren't rooted. We didn't have an adequate view of, of what the task was before us of the re as, as we talked about the, the church as reparenting us. And so what we end up doing is because we just put these things into youth culture, we become of the world, but not in it. I stole that, but I think that's so true. We, we take every form every worldly form we can, the Christian kind of the music I like, the Christian kind of the thing I like, uh, you know, all these things. But, but they also have, it's not, it has nothing to do with what the world is actually doing, right? It's not in, it's not in it. You also have this problem where, and I'm hearing this in a lot of what you're saying, 
with that kind of, you know, that, that restlessness came from a perceived ideal. Like there, there was an idealism that said, here is what the church is supposed to be. I know what the church is supposed to be. I know that, you know, these, these kind of older school churches, they don't get it. I know that these, you know, kind of baby boomer mega churches, they don't get it. I know that this kind of, you know, moralistic therapeutic theism, I know that that's not it. I know what it's supposed to be. And uh, I'm going to, you know, uh, work to, you know, move toward that ultimate ideal. And uh, youth, like youth naturally comes with a kind of idealism, a kind of, hey, this is the way things are supposed to be. And I know, because why wouldn't I? I'm smart, right? I'm, I'm young. And I, of course, know what I'm talking about. And that creates that restlessness. It creates a desire to change things and move things in that direction. But the problem ultimately is that uh, you don't, this is not an ideal uh, with maybe some exceptions, because uh, I don't want to put uh, everyone in the same category here. Uh, for instance, I don't think, I would not say this necessarily, although it might be partially true, but I, I wouldn't probably say this uh, of someone like a John Piper. Uh, but especially those who were younger uh, within this movement, you didn't come to this ideal vision of what the church is supposed to be doing through long, careful, lifelong study of the scripture and study of the scripture by those who have gone before you for generations and generations and generations and have left you uh, confessions and have left you the you know, the kind of helpful uh, building blocks for what the church can be and should be and the helpful uh, boundaries for where you can and should not go. That's not what the ideal is coming out of. The ideal is coming out of what you've been talking about, this kind of youth culture lens, this kind of revivalistic evangelicalism mixed with modern adolescent views of excitement and emotional uh, ecstasy and, and, and the way that things are supposed to feel. And that uh, ultimately doesn't work, right? That ideal eventually fades because you grow up, you change, right. or it just never happens because it's not real. We, we let the world set the standard of what, of what that success looks like. And then we did that in our own little hamlet. This is, I, this is what I think the of but not in the world and it's backwards we are to be we are to be in the world we are to but not of it we are to be building a culture that is existing inside the world but is not it is distinct it is standards its forms are different and it is to challenge a thing that probably was never challenged in at least in my life my relationship to overall the popular culture michael and i are working hard behind the scenes to get more episodes coming at you we have some cool interviews lined up Please rate, review the show, and if you do so and contact me, I'll send you the first questions from the Children's Catechism. Thanks. If we start getting close, we can just do a shameless, like, 
help us get to a hundred. Come downloads. on, we're almost there. Tell your so, friends, please. Tell your mom. Tell your dad. That's right. Tell your mom what a podcast is. <laughs> All right. Well, you have a good night. I'm gonna go see how my wife's doing before we go to bed. So. Sounds good. Blessings, man. We're yep, praying for see you guys, ya. and we'll be in touch. Thanks.